Some of you I don't know well yet, but I know so many of you, and I love you so much. And uh, so it's an honor to get to, to be up here and speak and share, like Emory said, some things that have come out of my history, my current situation, um, my past. And it's just such an honor that, uh, that uh, Kelly would invite me to do this, and so I appreciate that. Um, she introduced kind of in January at the beginning of the year the theme of maturity to which everyone went <laughs> we like the glory i like that i like that that year of study on the glory of god and i'm free i'm free of me and i'm okay and that all that was fun and now we're talking about maturity and it's like uh, and then debbie rogers who's here um, looking incredibly uncomfortable holding a child. <laughs> she continued. How natural it looks. Filters. Filters. <laughs> she she was here and, and she shared that you know the maturing process can be uncomfortable, but it doesn't mean we are not safe. And so she invited us to stand in that place of tension, stand in that place of discomfort, and allow God to do what he wants to do, and not flee or hide, which is kind of what gets triggered. And so today I'm sort of taking the baton, and I'm going to share my perspective of what the process of maturing has looked like in my life, what it looks like today, because it is ongoing. I was just talking to our matriarch, Sue Polis, and she was saying, the Lord is still teaching me stuff and growing me up. And so I, that made me feel a lot better because I kind of feel like I'm behind the curve on a lot of things. But if you're a mess, then I'm good. <laughs> I, I like to actually uh, think and, uh, of maturity and call maturity the development. So I'm going to use that word interchangeably today, development. And I think I may have stolen this from... Uh, uh, a counselor, local counselor, Mark Jones, and he talks about parts of us that are underdeveloped, and it just versus, you know, uh, developed, and, and there's something about when someone says that you're immature, it feels very condemning, it feels very accusing, it brings a lot of shame, but if you can look at it as a part of you that is just for whatever reason, because of the circumstances of life, because of what you got too much of or didn't get enough of, uh, your situation, it just didn't get developed. Some things just were not addressed. And so uh, I love what uh, Elisa Keaton, who uh, is the, the founder of Wellness Revelation, she says, Jesus acts more like a personal trainer and not a fairy godmother. And I've really looked to him to be like Santa Claus over the years, and that's when I've gotten very disappointed with God, very, very offended with God. And so I love that idea of he wants to train our weakness. I know, Allie, you're, you're, you're helping Deborah Bell lead a wellness revelation uh, group, and, and that was very powerful for me when I went through wellness revelation back in September, that he wants to train our weakness and develop what is underdeveloped. It's not an accusation. It's not a, oh, you are so screwed up, and why are you not further along, you know, in your development as a human being and as a believer and etc. It's not that at all. It's like, hey, you want to do it now? 
You, I feel like Jesus is like, I will do this with you. I will build this up in you. And, and what we all see, we see it in ourselves, we see it in other people, is that there are some things that come easily to us. There are some, there's talents and giftings, right, that come pretty easily to us. And those things get developed. Maybe we're in a, in a situation where uh, in, in, in a job, in a home, in ministry, where those things get developed. And so what happens is we walk around like with these like amazing Python worship biceps, you know, or, or these rock hard apostolic abs, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or these really awesome prophecy glutes. Yes. You know? <laughs> But we got these little puny, little puny legs we're walking around on. Or there's, a, or, or you, you get so, so you can you get T-Rex, you know, arms. And, and so, but but what do we do? We stay in that place of strength. We we stay in that place of maturity. Develop what's developed because that's our comfort zone. And a lot of times that's how we get like you know our recognition, our approval, our affirmation, all the things that that we need. We feel connected because of these gifts and talents. And again, it's not just, you know, the, the ministry type gifts. I'm talking about anything that you excel at, whether it's art or business or administration. Um, it, it can be where we park and we want to stay and we want to camp. But Jesus wants to be a personal trainer, and he wants to develop, he wants to mature. And so I want to look at two areas pertaining to growth. I may not get both today, but... They can, there's two areas that I've been looking at in my own life that pertain to development and maturity and growth. And the thing is, is each of them offers us a choice. We have to uh, choose which way we're going to go because it can either really hinder your growth or it can be the way in which development occurs and has room and can move in your life. The first, <clears throat> the first of these areas pertaining to growth are cycles of thought that keep me in a state of underdevelopment. And these are the belief systems and the perceptions, the triggers, the responses, the wounded behaviors that come out of places of pain, trauma, or deficits in the soul. Comes out of these behaviors, these beliefs, these emotional patterns, they come out of a place of a deficit in the soul, of underdeveloped. The second, which I'm going to begin with, <clears throat> that is an area that pertains to growth, is surrendering to the process and the timing of God. Being present with where God has you. My friend Debbie Rogers said the other day, you know, it really is an indicator of maturity. When you're okay and you trust God right where you are at. That's a great thing about having a prophet as a best friend. You get all that good stuff for free. We say a lot at Kingdom Life, it's staying in your lane. It's running your race. My friend Debbie Box posted something the other day, Jeremiah 6.16. And I love this. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path. Here we go. And you will find rest 
or your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. <laughs> and we miss the rest. But he's like, look, stop, find the path, find the road. There's rest for your soul there. And Ephesians 2.10 says something a little bit similar in the Amplified. It says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, created for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set, so that we would walk in them, living the good life, which he prearranged and made ready. There is a path a lane for me, for you, for each of us, and it is in that lane where we will develop, where we will find mature. In that lane, in that prearranged path, and nothing will pull me out faster than comparison. Comparison will create striving, and then, this is Debbie again, suddenly I am chasing what God already wants to give me. Yeah. Anne-Marie said that? She steals your stuff and gives you no credit. Just call me Deborah. Just call me Deborah. Yeah, we have and, and we have like way too many Deborahs here. But I actually love that. It's like a, a little cult within a cult of, of Debbies and Deborahs. Um, I met uh, Chuck Marr before I, before I met Anna. This was a number of years ago. I was out in California. We had mutual friends from, from Canada. You were there? Yeah, at Olive Garden. I, didn't, I don't remember meeting you. Well, I just, you know why? It, your name is not Deborah. And he did again. You were. And there were Canadians there, eh? And so we were kind of overwhelmed. I didn't meet Anna, but I met Chuck. And Chuck, uh, he gave me a word, and here was the word. He said, you have the grace to know what season you're in. Yeah, you're going, hmm, I hated that. <laughs> I thought that word was so lame. I was like, you punk. <laughs> because I'm old, so you're giving me a word about knowing the season I'm in. Meanwhile, all the young people are getting these big, splashy, glamorous words about, you're going to change the nations. You're going to be a voice to the nations. You, you've got the grace to know it's easy. You're a world changer. You're a radical believer. God's going to use you as an undercover in your life. Holy Spirit assassin in the darkness. You know what season you're in. But now that time has passed, and I'm a little more developed, I realize it's one of the best words I ever received. Yeah. Knowing the season that we're in is crucial to life as a believer. This thing we call doing Jesus, right? You've got to know. I've got to know what season I'm in. Because that shows us our lane. 
That shows us our path that was prepared for us, prearranged. It shows us where the rest is. It removes confusion. It clarifies. It focuses. And then we can reject the voice that says we should be doing something else. I live in San Antonio. I don't look at the weather conditions in another place, the seasons. Like down in, in my husband's home country, Bolivia, it's about 98 degrees right now. In, in the Andes, it's like 11 degrees because of the altitude. I, in, in my son's in Chicago. It's, you know, 12 degrees there. I don't run out and buy a puffy coat and snow boots and think, oh, my God, it's snowing in Chicago. <laughs> it's freezing in the Andes. I've got to change. I've got to. That's not my season. Yeah, right? Good. Right? I, 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 don't, I don't go out and, and uh, because it's, it's, it's so hot somewhere else, I don't put on summer clothes. Unless there's a hot flash, and that's a whole different... <laughs> that's a season change within a season. <laughs> I can do something very similar. I mean, as absurd as that sounds, I can do something very similar when I look at friends or, or colleagues or people in the world, and the season that they're in, when I read people, when I watch people, when I hear people speak, I can try to dress for their season. I can see what they're doing in their lane, and I can start trying to run their race. And there's no rest. The rest is in my path. I can look at, I can look at my friend Debbie Rogers, who's, you know, activating and accelerating executives in the business world. She's like, Secretly meeting with Elon Musk, designing <laughs> rocket ships underground in Los Angeles with downloads, prophetic downloads. And I can look at Michelle leading worship, going to Nepal, getting. I look at Anne Marie, she is worship. <laughs> She's stylish. I. <laughs> I, I I know. Uh, Jenny told me that she because you like your style. I'm like, I don't have a style. My style is loose. <laughs> but she said I have a style, so I've got a style. I do have a style. <laughs> yeah, I can look at Alicia and and my friend Casey Harris, and they're running. They're, they're leading healing ministries that are impacting everybody, the, our region, the nation. I can look at Sue Polis, this matriarch, who's raised up two generations of prophets in, among women in San Antonio. I'm not doing any of that. I can look at Jenny, who's taking back what the enemy most wants, our marriages. And she's going into these places that the enemy has tried to say, I own this now. And she said, not so fast. I've got other friends who are thin. They're being thin. (laughs) (laughs) Nikki 
Nikki's got chickens. <laughs> Nikki's got chickens and she's doing all this healthy stuff. So is Allie. Feed her cat. My kid grew up on frozen fish sticks and toaster strudel. <laughs> and you're like feeding your kids all this organic, healthy, they'll hate you forever. <laughs> friends starting businesses. Laura, you know, I, 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 former colleagues of mine, they've got their own TV shows. They, they're editors of major publications. I'm not doing any of that. But I'm in my lane. And I'm got rest. And I'm good. I'm good. But that comparison thing, that's a thief. And I want to talk a little bit more about that (laughs) later. Because I I want to share with you um, a a cool thing that happened, which was crucial for my season. And I actually want to pray over all of us uh, later uh, to to share in that and step into that with me. But I I had a, a couple of friends over. We were at my house, and we were praying. And we've been meeting together for years and years. That's another friend who's doing something amazing. Tracy. Tracy Keller. She's like got a YouTube channel. She's getting certified for stuff. She's, you know, at Alley, same thing. I mean, I see all these people being entrepreneurial. Artists are making art. You know, it, people are doing all these things. So anyway, Tracy and another friend, we were praying. And I was kind of praying. And, you know, I, I had the floor. And so I was going on and on, as I tend to do. And, uh, and I, fe- I really clearly felt like, you need to shut up. And I, w- I said, I think I need to stop talking. And so they were like, <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> no, one, no one opposed the motion. I second that motion. It passed unanimously. And so I, I was sitting there, and I felt it started from within, and it started from without at the same time, and it was a stillness. Mm. It was stillness, and everything got still, and we all felt, and we just sat there, I don't know how long, maybe 15, 20 minutes, just sat there in the stillness. And of course, I thought of the scripture, be still and know that I am God. I used to have that up like by my bathroom mirror, um, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. And I would go, okay, this is the way I would be still. Okay, I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to, uh, okay, I'm be still. Okay, I was still. That was the way I, that's the way I experienced still. It was like, you know, kind of an interruption in my chaos. There was a little bit of stillness. Okay, got it, you know. And this was supernatural. This was still. And as I was sitting there in the stillness and it was filling me, I saw pictures of Jesus going through uh, life and uh, all the things that he was dealing with. You know, he was dealing with a uh, 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 cult of personality. You know, he was dealing with celebrity and, and acclaim. And you're the greatest. We love you. We love you. And then he was dealing with persecution. Um, uh, of people trashing him and misunderstanding his motives and, and not recognizing who he was. And he had people wanting him, oh, come to our, come to our meeting. 
come speak at our uh, our healing conference. You know, come, come, come. Will you just come, come pray for them? Come pray for me. It, there, there was, there was. I, I just saw him going through all of this and the bickering with the disciples and and the pulling on him. You know, of of everybody's agenda. And it occurred to me he could do all of that. He did everything he could do because he was still. And I thought, I'm experiencing the stillness of Jesus. This is how he stayed in his lane. This is how he could say, I do what I see the Father doing, and I say what I hear the Father saying, because he was still. And all the other voices that wanted to uh, to outshout, to distract, to create static and interference, it wasn't even a factor because in the stillness, he could hear, he could see, he could be, and he could remain on track. The enemy of stillness is striving. The invitation is not work really hard and exert yourself and excel and be known and get it all right and know that I am God. It's be still. Stop all of that. Turn from it. We can't do that if we're comparing. The Lord dropped this into me last night. Comparison is the key that starts the engine of strife. As I was driving over here, I was thinking about David. There's so many great messages in the life of the, in the life of David, and the one that came to me was how, as a shepherd, he was somewhat isolated. He was out of public view, right? There's no paparazzi. There was he didn't have a blog or he didn't have a lot of likes on social media. He was taking care of the sheep, he was in his lane. And he was developing this intimacy with God in the stillness. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And he was developing this history with God. And he was developing um, this relationship and he was coming to know who he was. And I wonder, you know, did he, did it, did he have to wrestle with, my brothers are all doing all of this stuff. And I'm stuck out in the back 40 with his sheep. Everybody else is, you know, his brothers were like in the army, right? They're, they're all doing things and achieving and getting acknowledgement. And, and from what it sounds like to me, probably the approval of their father more than David. But we see the fruit and the result of him being in his lane, of accepting his lane, the maturity of submitting to the season of his life that he was in when he is on public view, when the Goliath uh, episode occurs. He knows what he's equipped to do because he knows God. He has this history with God. He learned it in his lane. He killed a bear, he killed a lion, and he's like, this guy will be the same thing. So what does Saul do? Saul brings him in, King Saul, and, and puts his armor on him. He goes, okay, kid, you know, if you really want to do this, this is what you need, this is how it needs to look. Here's how, here's how it's got, how, here, here's how it's done. And he put the armor on him and the shield and the sword and the helmet and all that. And, and David did not succumb to 
This is better. This was the key from whom everyone wants favor and, and connection and, and uh, influence. He tells the king, you know, in not so many words, thanks, but that's not how I roll. I got a slingshot and some stones. That's my lane. He did not succumb to that pressure to do it like someone else, to look like someone else, to be someone else. He did it the way he knew how to do it, in his lane. I'm in a season where, to our culture, I guess in modern day, this is sort of like herding sheep. I'm kind of in a season where I, I, to our culture, nothing of much value is happening. I'm not doing anything splashy. I'm not doing anything big. And you know, there, there's, a, there's a tendency in, in our culture at large, but also within the church, to be big, right? And I, I've even like sat under a teaching that says, Live big. And I get live big, live fearless, you know, go for your dreams, all that. But actually, there was attached to it a value that if it gets a lot of notoriety and you get a lot of attention for it and you sell this and you get this many invitations to speak, et cetera, et cetera, it's somehow it's better. And so that is uh, 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 the, the, the false criteria, the, the false measuring stick. That is our culture. It is not God. And, and the same thing happened to me when I left a very high-profile career to stay home with my son. I used to think about uh, the Lord gave me this thought one day as I was kind of feeling like I was being held hostage by a child and my whole life was, being, was vanishing in the breeze. My whole life was disappearing. There it went. Bye-bye. All my dreams, all my goals. Bye bye. Say goodbye, honey. Mommy's dreams are dying. Oh <laughs> <laughs> bye bye, dreams. Bye, mommy's dreams. God about Mary, the mother of Jesus. All she did was raise a kid. <laughs> she was a stay-at-home mom. That's all she did. Nobody thinks that that really has much value. And we can start to believe that. We can start to believe that. What I'm doing doesn't matter. It's not big. Unless you're raising the savior of the world. <laughs> Unless maybe you're changing the course of generations That's in your right. family. Yeah. Unless maybe the blood in your bloodline is being cleansed and made righteous and turned around. Yes, yeah. Andrea. Yeah, man. Come on. Yeah, unless maybe the, you are standing with the cross of Jesus Christ to remove the curse that's on yes. your family. Yeah. Maybe there is something valuable yeah. in that.
right? Right now, I, I, I was just going to add, I, I remember like 17 years ago or so, I was listening to and reading a lot of uh, material by John Bevere. And I knew he had this wife, Lisa, somewhere in the background. There was this wife, Lisa, with, you know, she had all these kids. And, and every now and then he would go, my life, my life, Lisa. And then he would go back and, you know, he, would, he was in the spotlight, right? It was his season. It was his time. He was in his lane. And she was too. And now... She is so, uh, so celebrated, so her, it's her season, it's her time. And I know, I don't, I, I mean, Alicia knows her, I don't know her, but I, I, I know without a doubt, because this is motherhood in our culture, she had to have wrestled with, I'm not doing anything with my life. Tick-tock, tick-tock, when you get to be almost 60, tick-tock, tick-tock. You know, you say to God, I say all the time, the, the soundtrack to my life is tick-tock. Time is running out. You need to do something. I need to do something big. Yeah, now she sold more books than me. <laughs> Take that, bait of Satan. <laughs> what? That's the book you wrote. Yeah. I know that. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. John Bevere wrote a book called The Bait of Satan. And it's, it's all about offense, which I wanted to talk about today, but it's not going to happen. Um, the Bait of Satan is offense. And we have a choice whether to go and take that bait or not. And so The Bait of Satan is his book. And I just wonder if the bait is dangling in front of John as his wife, you know, is so right now, my season of life, my lane, is I'm taking care of my 91-year-old mother. And uh, no one is interested in that. It is not big. It's not splashy. It doesn't sell books. It doesn't get likes. It doesn't get followers. But it's my lane and it's my season and I've said yes to it. I was standing in the kitchen and I was sort of, we moved my mom into my house because she refused to go to assisted living. And, uh, and now it's just, it's so perfect and it's so good. But uh, uh, I was really frustrated with her refusal to cooperate. And uh, I, I felt very, um, very angry and resentful and... Uh, here goes my life being hijacked again. If I have to move her in, yeah, I've, this is my time. I empty nest. Now I get to do my big stuff, the big stuff. And you know, the big stuff is me moving my my elderly frail mom in with me. And I was in the kitchen, and I was kind of going, uh, 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 thinking about the whole situation. And the Lord had this cool conversation with me. It was in the form of questions. And he said, what if the grace that's available for this season all hinges on you, on Deborah? What if, what if you are the key to this, to making this work, not your mom? What if it's all up to you? And what if 
what you think is punishment is actually mercy. Have you mistaken mercy for punishment? And so I said, yes. I say yes to this season. I trust that I won't miss anything. I trust you that the world may go racing by me in my lane, but I'm not going to miss anything. And I, and I, and I saw a picture of, you know how at a track meet, not where they're doing a really short sprint, but one of the longer runs, they, they start out in the curve uh, of the track. Now here's my sports idiot now. I can't, I don't know how to describe all this. But the, so the track is oval, right? And so they, they, they stagger the runners. So the person who's actually in the closest looks the furthest away, the farthest away. You know how they start running and then all of a sudden they all catch up? But that person, I've often wondered, what's it like to be that person? Like, wow, I've got a huge gap to close here. I am way behind everybody else. And then you kind of go, oh, I'm up with everybody. We can do X, Y, and Z with our talent and our gifting. And the Lord says, you built a lot with all of that personality and talent and anointing and your spiritual gifts. You built a lot, but you built on a faulty foundation. A foundation of wounding, self-protection, defense mechanisms, a foundation of neediness, whatever need you were trying to fill. He invites us then into a time of dismantling in the stillness, in our lane, dismantling what we built, which goes against our instinct to protect what we've built, to protect who we are to protect how we're known. The gifts are real, the talent is real, but the motivations have come from a place of deficit and lack. So there's been fear driving much of what we've built. In my case, with my personality, there's a need for applause and recognition and being celebrated. Not everybody's an extrovert, so you have other, you have other needs. Maybe you have a need for a reputation or an image or a really good mask and armor. Because of that, what I built has been faulty and it can't withstand the wind and the storm that is life. That's immaturity. That's underdeveloped. That's why even though I may accomplish much, I can still feel like I'm not any different. I'm still a mess. I'm still struggling with the same issues. Maybe I hide them better. Maturity means allowing the Lord to rebuild, to let all of that stuff that was accomplished around us and within us to be dismantled, watching all that stuff disappear. All the things that made me feel safe, all the things that made me feel like somebody. The Lord told uh, Debbie Rogers years ago that he was building something with her. 
And a few years into it, she asked how the building process was coming along, and he said, oh, we're still clearing the land. <laughs> Bill Johnson says gifts are free. Maturity is expensive. Maturity costs us something. It costs us trusting him with the process of developing us, trusting him with the removal process, trusting him in the waiting when we don't see things happening, trusting him with the season that he's called us to. As I told you, my season right now is taking care of my mother. And Jesus had said to me, what if all the beauty and the sweetness of this season hinges on Deborah? And I wrote in my journal what I said earlier, what if this isn't punishment but mercy? And I heard the Lord ask, what if by going small, you can go really big? Yeah. An internal expansion and development, maturing. What he is building in me is not a ministry. It's not books or blogs or podcasts or Facebook postings or speaking engagements or promotion or business. What he is building in me doesn't need anything like that to prop it up. It doesn't need any of that to add value. What he's building is unity and oneness with him. This is what he does in the stillness. This is what he does in your lane. This is why the enemy wants to pull you out of it. Because you will miss the rest. You will say, I don't want to walk in that way. Just like Jeremiah said the people of God had responded. We don't want to walk in that way. The same, that same voice is speaking to us to get us out of our lane. He's building connection, belonging, rest, ease, identity apart from gifting. Remember those big muscles, right? He is developing what's underdeveloped in my identity. I know the stuff I'm good at. He wants me to be so much more than just the stuff I rely on to feel affirmed to feel validated, to feel recognized, known, acknowledged, to belong. And I am giving him the time and the space in which to do it. Here's what my days look like. Did you know that at any time of the day or night, there is an episode of Golden Girls on some channel? <laughs> I am back in the business of cleaning bottoms. A 91-year-old bottom is not as cute as a little baby bottom. <laughs> Trust me on this one. I'm in the business of my day is spent trying to cajole someone into eating. You can't have the ice cream sandwich until you eat your taco. No, you need the protein. Protein makes us strong. 
You have to take your vitamins. I found them under the cushion where you hid them. <laughs> None of this makes headlines. None of this matters on LinkedIn. This will never be on my resume, and no one will ever care. But a woman who has experienced much heartbreak and disappointment in her life is feeling love, maybe for the first time. And it's quite possible that I am, as I said earlier, taking a stand that will impact future generations of my family. And I am seeing previously overlooked value in my mother. I looked down on her much of my life for not having a voice. I thought she was timid and, and, and she shrunk back. And I wanted her to be, you know, I am woman, hear me roar. I grew up in the 70s. And, and I wanted her to be powerful and speak up and have an opinion, express yourself. And she never did. But it hit me the other day, she made sure I had a voice. Wow. My mother encouraged and called out. And these are the bigger issues that God can get at when we are living what feels like a small, quiet life. Not when we're running around trying to establish ourselves claim a position, create something, live up to something, matter, excel, when we're not striving and fighting and fretting and chasing what God already wants to give us. Maybe destiny isn't a place we arrive at in the world. Maybe destiny is a place we arrive at within ourselves. I'm convinced that can only be discovered in stillness. Stillness allows maturity to develop. Stillness requires maturity because it requires trust. Trust in the process. Trust in the season that he has called us. Submitting, trusting God, with our lane is an indicator of maturity. So right now I want to just pray over you for, for a, um, a few minutes. And I want you to experience the stillness. Give yourself permission to be still. You may want to jot down something as the Lord speaks to you. And Father, I do release that now, this group of sisters and friends and beloveds. The stillness of Jesus. that allowed him to not be tugged to and fro. It kept him in his lane. The stillness when we know God. 
Thank you for the presence of Jesus, who is peace, peace is a person. Thank you that, as I've heard it preached, Jesus could speak peace to a storm because he carried it in him. I release peace in this place. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, as we are intentionally still, that stillness comes from within. And as we breathe in the presence and the breath of God, the Spirit of God, we breathe in stillness. And it goes down to the cellular level. And the stillness is an anchor. And the stillness calls to every good thing of God in us. And in the stillness, we can see, we can hear. Ask the Lord, Jesus, what do you call this season of my life? What is my lane? Jesus, I ask you to show, you communicate, you reveal how you see the season, how you see the lane and the value you attribute to it and the richness and the goodness that is to be found in that lane, in the stillness. And then I want you to ask Jesus, what is calling out of it? And what is underdeveloped that you want to develop? I want you to see yourself receive that from him, your lane assignment. And the goodness and the sweetness of this season, of your lane, being put in your hand like a baton is handed to a runner. And I want you to run with it. And if any part of you has resisted this season, I encourage you to access the grace and the vision for it by saying, yes, I will grow up. I will be mature. And I will say yes to this season, to my lane 
into this process because I don't want to miss what you have for me. I want to fix my eyes on the finish line, not the other runners. I want to run well, and I don't want to miss a thing. I don't want to miss a thing. And I give you permission to be my trainer and train my weakness so that it's a trophy for me. The thought patterns, the comparison, the offenses, the distraction, not in my lane, not any longer. I speak over you this day as starting gun if you've had trouble accepting your lane, your season, a starting gun, fired by Jesus himself, who is running with you, who is cheering you on, who has handed you the baton and has said, will you trust me? Will you trust me? when you see others running ahead. Will you trust me? And in your yes, there is the grace that you need for this season. And there is the stillness. I bless you as a mother in the kingdom, as a friend, as a sister, as a minister. I bless you to value your lane, value your season, and to no longer be tricked by the strategy and the scheme of comparison. I cancel that over your thinking and your life in the name of Jesus Christ. With all of his authority, in all of his affection. Let's just say that today, comparison will no longer be the loudest voice. It's stillness. Stillness will speak loud. I love you and I thank you.